book of, of Galatians. I, I do want to remind you, look at your e-bulletin. There's Bible studies going on during the week, young adults on Friday, men's studies, ladies' studies, uh, all that has taken place. We don't want you to miss anything. But the book of Galatians uh, in the New Testament, we just finished Daniel. We were in Daniel for several months. Such an incredible study. Those teachings are up online. Uh, so the archives are there for you to go through the book of Daniel at your own if you missed it. Uh, but here at Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So if you go to the Gospels, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, then you'll find Galatians. We're going to start at chapter 1 in verse 1. And over the next several weeks, few months, we're going to be studying this incredible epistle, the book of Galatians. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. It's a good time to remember to turn our ringers off our phones as, Father, we do come. And as we start a new book, it, it really is going to be edifying and encouraging. And I pray that we would be established in the one true gospel. Because even as we know that we're going to read, there were those who came along who were troubling the believers there of Galatia, that there are those who trouble us today. And they will base salvation on performance, on works, on uh, keeping a law, something. And Lord, we want to be established that it is faith alone and Christ alone. And it doesn't mean that we just live any way that we want. It means that we get to live for you. So bless this time as we study your word, as we will come to the communion table, um, as we conclude our study. You have so much for us in the next few moments. So we want to be established in our chairs we want to be uh, teachable right now, opening our ears and our hearts to you as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So by way of uh, background for the book of Galatians, as you read chapter 1 of the book of Acts, you know that Jesus told his disciples that you're to wait in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. As you move into chapter 2, you know that's indeed what took place, that the Holy Spirit came upon those praying believers there in Jerusalem. And um, we know that uh, it was Peter that then would stand up. He would give an explanation of what was going on as he preached powerfully and very persuasively the gospel message, and 3,000 got saved. It was the birth of the church. And the church would continue to grow, even as you end chapter 2, that the Lord added to the church daily, such as being saved, those who are coming to, to Christ. And the gospel would begin to spread at that time from Jerusalem to Judea, and then would begin to spread to Samaria. And Samaria would have a revival that would break out, because we know that there was this Pharisee of Pharisee that would lead this persecution in Jerusalem against the Christians, Saul of Tarsus. And as persecution came, the Christians began to fan out. And as Philip, who in Acts chapter 6, listed as the first deacon there, a group of guys that were uh, ordained as deacons, he would go up into the area of Samaria. Now, Samaria is in the middle of Israel. You read about Samaria in the Gospels and the Samaritans. But he goes up in that area, and he begins to preach, and revival breaks out. We know that in chapter 9, Saul, the, the one who is persecuting the Christians, we know him as Paul the Apostle. He would be converted on, as he's on his way to Damascus. And he would go to Damascus, being born again by the Spirit of God, having that encounter with the Lord. 
and he would preach there in the synagogue to the Jews, and they were confounded. They were amazed. Isn't this this Saul who persecuted the church? But they weren't converted. He would then leave, and he would go to Damascus for about three years, and he was taught by the Lord. And then he would go back to, uh, or he went to Arabia there, and it was taught. And then he went back to Damascus. He would have to escape because the Jews wanted to kill him. He would then go to Jerusalem. As he went to Jerusalem, the apostles are holding him out at arm's length. They're not so sure about this, this guy, Saul, uh, who persecuted the church, if his conversion is real. So they would send him off to Tarsus where he would be there for about seven, eight years learning to make tents. Well, as you move into chapter 10, Peter, he's in Joppa. He has that vision of the sheet of unclean animals and arise, Peter, and eat. And the Lord used that for him to take the gospel to Cornelius, his family, his household, the Cornelius, that Roman centurion that is in Caesarea, just up the coast from him. And that's where the gospel would begin to be given to the Gentiles. And as Peter went back to Jerusalem, the Jews, the believing Jews, they're astonished. They're, they're saying, you went into the home of a, of a Gentile and you ate with them? And they began to understand that this thing called the church, as the church is growing, would consist of both Jews and Gentiles. And as they are going through all this, there's issues that came up that we see that Paul is dealing with in this epistle. Well, revival breaks out in Antioch in Syria, a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and then Alexandria that is in Egypt and then there was Antioch. And as revival breaks out, the apostles send Barnabas up to Antioch to disciple the new believers. It would be Barnabas that then would go and find Paul in, in Tarsus and says, Paul, you need to come to Antioch and help teach these new believers, these comforts, these Gentile believers. And that's what Paul would do. And they would be there for about a year as you then move into Acts chapter 13. And the leadership is praying for Paul and Barnabas, separate unto us the ministry, uh, as they would then go on their first missionary journey. They would take John Mark with them. They would go and travel to the island of Cyprus. John Mark at that time would leave them. And then Paul and Barnabas would go into that area of Galatia. So Galatia is a region in Asia Minor, which includes the cities of Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And we know that that was a very difficult missionary journey for Paul because he was stoned actually in Lystra. He was left for dead. They drug him out of the city. And I believe that the reason they drug him out of the city is because that's where the garbage heap was. They toss him into the garbage heap. He gets up, he goes back into the city, and I think he makes indication of that here in this epistle as towards the end of the, the letter here, he says that I bear the, the marks on my body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also would talk about how, see how large letters I write to you. And it's believed that perhaps that Paul re got malaria, this form of malaria that would cause an eye disease. And it's described that he had these runny eyes. 
So even though it was very difficult, we know that God blessed that missionary journey. Those churches were established in Galatia, and, and the gospel is spreading throughout the Gentiles. And I believe that even though Paul, he traveled through that area of Galatia, as well as his second and third missionary journey, that it would be Timothy in the second missionary journey that would join Paul. He was from Lystra, that area of Galatia. It was Timothy that would be the faithful uh, companion of Paul. Uh, Paul called him my son in the faith until the time uh, of Paul's death. But we know that those churches of Galatia being established after the first missionary journey, as Paul and Barnabas went back, they gave a report to the believers in Antioch, to the leadership, and it would be at that time that this epistle was written to the Christians of Galatia. So uh, the book of Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, is what is called the early epistles of Paul. And this epistle was the first one that we have of Paul the Apostle recorded in the canon of Scripture. He writes it in about 48 to 50 A.D., and the debate is whether he wrote it before the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15 or shortly right after it. But he's writing to the churches of Galatia, and there's a very important reason that he was, is because these new Gentile believers, as they were enjoying their newfound salvation and relationship in Christ, that Paul, as he brought the gospel to them, as they were believing on Christ, receiving the gospel message, there were those who were called Judaizers. They were legalists, Jewish legalists, that would come in behind Paul. And they would say that, it, well, it's not really all that simple. It's not just faith alone. But you have to keep the law of Moses and you have to be circumcised. And Paul is going to emphasize once again to them and to us that salvation is by faith. This book, Galatians, is called the Little Book of Romans. And they needed, those Gentile believers, to have confidence once again in the gospel. Listen, the only gospel. Because there's only one gospel. The gospel that was brought to them. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not by circumcision. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by Sabbath keeping. It's not by dietary laws. So this is an important study for us to go through this book. As we are established in the gospel. As we're established in these truths. Because there are those who will come along. And perhaps you've experienced it. I know that they call me. They email me. And they say, why don't you keep the Sabbath? You know, why don't you worship on this day? You're not saved if you're not baptized. Uh, some kind of law, work that you have to do in order to be saved. And salvation, they will say, will be based on some kind of performance. As we go through these six chapters here, we're going to see that the word liberty is going to be used. Paul uses it 11 times in six chapters. He writes Christ and mentions him 45 times. The word law, 31 times. The word flesh, 18 times in six chapters. The word spirit, 15 times. The word faith, 22 times. So very clear distinctions that will be presented as we go through these six chapters. Martin Luther, who was a great reformer, many of you, you know about him, and he was a Catholic monk back in the 1700s. And it was Martin Luther that was always, as you read his autobiography, he was always trying to gain the approval of God. 
He, he was always trying to do this work, this performance. It got so bad to where he would crawl up steps on his hands and knees and he'd be whipping himself. He would sleep out on the ground in the cold without a blanket. He would, you know, run through thorn bushes uh, and get all scratched up. He did all these uh, unnecessary, crazy things. And finally, one of the priests said, you got to quit coming to confession uh, because you have nothing to confess. So he was bound up in legalism. He was bound up in religion. He was bound up in all that stuff. And he says that the book of Galatians ended up being his epistle. Because what we see here in the theme of the book of Galatians is that the just shall live not by performance, not by beating yourself, not by the law, that the just shall live by faith. The theme also of the book of Romans and also of that Old Testament book, the book of Habakkuk. So Martin Luther said, this is my epistle here. And as we go through this, again, the emphasis of the apostle is, I brought you one gospel. And to be clear, that that message has the power to save for anyone who believes, Jew or Gentile. It is not faith and works. We are saved by faith alone. We are saved by Christ alone so that we can do good works. Because you ladies on Tuesday night, as you've been going through the book of Ephesians, you know how in chapter 2 that the apostle writes, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And then Paul goes on to say that we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works. So we need to be established that it isn't the law that saves. It is Jesus that saves. It was Paul who was the apostle of grace. He uses that word grace 120 times in the New Testament. Now, John the Apostle, who wrote John's Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, he uses the word grace seven times. Paul was the one uh, who, uh, again, the Apostle of grace, because the Gospel is, you know, uh, we are saved by grace through faith. He was so amazed that God used him and, and forgave him. And called them to the ministry. And it was solely on what Christ did on the cross. There is one gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel that these Judaizers were bringing. We are going to read. Was another gospel. Which was not the gospel. They were poisoning. The well of salvation. They were poisoning the living waters. That Jesus said that word freely to drink of. And Paul is very committed. He uses strong language in this message that he's going to give to those Gentile believers. He's going to start out by saying, I marvel that you turn away so quickly. He says that there are those who trouble you. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What has begun in the spirit? Are you going to try to perfect in the flesh? He writes that I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored in vain. And who has hindered you? You've fallen from grace. So Paul, we're going to see, is so unwavering in this message of the gospel and the grace of Christ. And we need to be established in this truth and to be able to share it with others. So let's begin to read the book of Galatians as we read in chapter 1 and verse 1. That Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised them from the dead. So Paul wants the Christians in Galatia to know that he's writing to them as an apostle. 
I'm writing with apostolic authority. And here he really presses the point that I am an apostle, not from men, not through men, uh, but I've been called to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is emphasizing his divine call of God in his life. And one of the things that Paul had to deal with, particularly early in his ministry, is with those who would come along and would challenge his apostolic authority. One of the things that these Judaizers did, these legalists did, is not only did they attack the message, the message of Paul, the gospel message that he brought, but they would attack and they would challenge Paul's calling as an apostle. They would say that he's not a real apostle. He's not one of the original 12, that, that he's a self-appointed apostle. And Paul would, again, he would have that um, challenge that would come to him in his ministry. There are those who came into the church at Corinth later, uh, young adults studying 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, Corinth, of course, was established on his second missionary journey. And there are those who came in that called themselves most eminent apostles, super apostles. And they were putting Paul down. They said, don't listen to Paul. His speech is contemptible. Uh, Look at him. He's wearing those sweating tent-making clothes. Don't listen to him. And they were ruling over the people with a heavy hand. And Paul says, you put up with them. They were even punching the people in the face. He says, they punch you in the face and you put up with this? And they're not most eminent apostles. They're false apostles. Paul would emphasize his ministry to the church at Corinth. He said, when we came to you, we came here not to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. We didn't come peddling the, the word of God, but we came and gave the word of God and the gospel to you freely. We weren't a hindrance to you. And you, Corinthians, that you are living epistles because of what Christ has done. And being a spiritual father to them, he said, the more that I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. I think it broke Paul's heart as those who came in and attacked him and his authority. And, and Paul was one in great humility, a servant of the Lord, saying, we're here to be helpers of your joy. We know that one way to attack a message, we, we see it today. If any of you, if you watch football games or whatever, you know, today you're going to see commercial after commercial in the political realm, aren't you, of attacking that candidate. You can't trust that candidate. They're extreme. They're bad for Colorado. They're bad for the nation. And the way to attack a message is to attack the messenger. So Paul emphasizing his apostolic authority doesn't come by men or any other man. It wasn't self-appointed, but by the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, and God the Father. Paul identifying himself as the writer of this letter, verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul was writing, it is believed, from Antioch of Syria, and the brethren, uh, maybe Barnabas and the others that are mentioned in Acts chapter 13, to the churches in Galatia. So again, Galatia wasn't a city in Asia Minor. It was, it was in a territory, an area uh, in that area that today is called Turkey, uh, that included those churches that you read about in Acts chapter 14 that were established on his first missionary journey. But we continue as he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this dual greeting of Paul, grace and peace, and this is what the theme of this letter will be about. It will be about grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. 
And as you experience and receive the grace of God, listen, then you will have peace with God. And you'll have the peace of God. In this dual greeting, you always see it grace first and then peace. You never see it the other way around. Because you will never have the peace of God if you don't know the grace of God and experience the grace of God. And these legalists, these Judaizers, were taken away from the grace of God and the Christians were losing their peace. They're troubled. So grace and peace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue reading in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus willingly and voluntarily went to Calvary's cross for our sins. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sin, that we're delivered from this present evil age. And we do live in an evil age, don't we? We talk quite a bit about that going through our Daniel study, where the world is headed, how things are getting darker, the storm clouds are gathering. We see the signs, the, the labor pains that are telling us that the Lord's return is near. And it reminds me of what Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And the world is getting darker, more evil all the time. We see it all around us today. You watch the news, the events that have taken place, and it gets overwhelming. But I want us to remember this, that we have been delivered from this evil age. Will you please remember that when you get angry, when you get overwhelmed, when you get anxious, when you begin to worry. The idea here in this word delivered is not just delivered from the presence of something, but delivered from the power of something. We don't have to be slaves or in bondage or held captive by the darkness and evil of this world. We don't have to be under its power. We are free in Christ, and he's come to deliver you from sin and listen to the power of sin in your life. We've been delivered. And if you've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light, why would you want to go back to the darkness and live after the world? Why would you want to be enslaved to it? We get to live for Christ. And as he pins in verse 5 here, to whom him be glory forever and ever. Here's one of the problems of this is what I do to earn salvation or God's approval or his love is that it is always at the expense of the glory of God because the glory goes to you. I think of Isaiah who declares that God says he will not share his glory with any man or any woman. But hey, this is what I did. I did this work, I did this act, I, I kept this law, uh, I did this performance, and I've gained God's approval, and I've gained salvation, and then you can boast about that. Rather than boasting in the Lord and what He has done. Again, we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We cannot boast in ourselves when it comes to the gift of salvation. It comes by God's grace. When you go to the book of Romans in chapters 3, 4, and 5, we're justified freely 
by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, when he begins to bring that doctrine of justification. When you move into chapter 5, he emphasizes that salvation, justification, is by you know, a, a gift, a free gift given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Five times Paul writes that in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. And then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he would tell us about the doctrine of sanctification that you're set apart. And there are those who will come along to you and to me and they will say, and I've be, even been told this as a pastor, well, you've got to emphasize the law. You've got to emphasize the obedience. You've got to emphasize the performance. If you don't, pastor, you're going to have a carnal church. The Lord has called us to holiness. He's called us to righteousness, to live for him. I will never back away from that message. But Paul would face that as well, because in chapter 6, there would be those who say, what do you mean that salvation is a free gift? You know, you live by grace. That means you can just do anything that you want. And Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, certainly not. We're dead to sin. You see, we don't live in grace and in his grace, in the freedom that we have in Christ so that we can go out and sin. We are free to live for him. Amen? There's a big difference in that. There's a big difference that I get to live for him than I got to live for him. I get to live in his love and walk in his ways and walk in the spirit because he's made me a new creation in Christ. But when somebody comes along and just begins to emphasize performance, performance, you know what will happen, and I've experienced it, and maybe perhaps you have as well. You're up and down like a spiritual roller coaster. One day I did good, I did great, I did okay. The next day I failed. And I've had guys in my office, young guys particularly, that are telling me, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved because, you know, I just, I've been struggling in this. Or lots of doubts. Or whatever the case may be. Rather than just standing on what the Word of God has to say in the gospel that has the power to save one's life and to live in the power of what he gives to us, Christ living in our hearts and rejoicing in that. I'll tell you one way I know for me, I'll speak for myself, that one way I know that I can get in a spiritual funk is that I begin to focus on me. And I begin to focus on, you know, I, because I already know I fail. But when I get up and I realize that, Lord, I get to live for you today, help me to, to please you and walk with you. To know you. I want to live for you. It's such a wonderful thing when we realize that he, he proved his love for us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the things that we see very clearly in the book of Romans and Galatians and others of Paul's letters, if one thing that really made his blood boil is to think that we can add to the work of the cross the cruddiness of man... Paul will state that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Again, what has begun in the spirit, you're going to try to perfect it in the flesh. So yeah, we walk in the spirit, we walk in obedience, we're dead to sin, we identify with Christ in this newness of life. And living in grace doesn't mean I go out and sin. It means I'm free to live for him. 
and the newness of being a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him, verse 6 goes on to tell us, who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And oftentimes in Paul's letters, he'd open up with some kind of praise to the churches or expression of thanksgiving, not in this letter to the Galatians. Right away, you can see Paul writing with a sense of urgency. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him. You're turning away from Christ. Why would you want to do that? I marvel that you're doing it so soon. And that term, turning away, it's a military term, actually, that you're deserting, you're deserting Christ. I've come to you, given you the gospel of grace, the truth, and I marvel that you're turning away so quickly. You're deserting that truth to a different gospel, which is not another. So Paul telling us that there's no other gospel than what's presented to us in God's word. Being justified by faith. We have, you know, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5. 1 Corinthians 15, I declared to you the gospel and preached it to you that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised and that he rose again on the third day. That is the gospel. You have deserted that. You've deserted Christ to another message which is not the gospel. And Paul writes, those who are troubling you, again, those legalists, Jewish Judaizers who would emphasize, believe in Christ, but they would emphasize coming in behind Paul's ministry and saying you have to be circumcised and also follow the Mosaic law. We will see that because we're going to see that Paul, at the end of the book, he's going to say, I'm afraid for you. Why do you want to go back to the weak and beggarly elements? You observe days, months. Why do you want to do that? And so there's that emphasis here of, you know, those things aren't going to save you. The Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, I think it's an important chapter for you to know. When somebody comes along and says, you have to be baptized to be saved. You have to observe the Sabbath. You, you have to do this. In Acts chapter 15, we know that Paul's going to make mention when we go into chapter 2 about Titus and Barnabas and him. They, the leaders of Antioch, they go up to Jerusalem. They meet with the leaders there in Jerusalem, Peter and James and the others. And they have this council. And they are needing clarification. What is it that we're going to tell these Gentile believers? Are we going to tell them that they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? And Christianity at that time was in real danger of just becoming another sect of, of Judaism. It's interesting that there was a group of Pharisees that were there that were believers. Do you realize that some of the Pharisees got saved after the resurrection of Jesus? They got saved, and they're there, and they're saying, still bound up in legalism, they're saying that, yes, we got to tell these Gentiles that they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So Peter, as they would meet, Peter would stand up, and he would say, why do we want to put this yoke you know, upon those believers that our fathers couldn't keep. And the clarification would come as they would say that this is what we're going to tell the Gentile believers. We're going to tell them that they are sustained from immorality because they were coming out of paganism. That was a big problem. Don't eat meat offered to idols for the sake of sensitivity to the Jewish believers. And don't be drinking blood, you know. Don't be eating roadkill, you know, things like that. And if they do these things, they do well. Nothing about keeping the Sabbath. 
If that was such an important part of salvation and justification, why wouldn't they say that? Nothing about the Sabbath, nothing about keeping the dietary laws, circumcision, any of those things. So that's something that you can show others as they come to you and say, well, you're not saved because you didn't get baptized. You have to be baptized to be saved. And we see that Paul's going to make that very clear as we go through this. I've given you the gospel of grace. And there needed to be clarification then, and there needs to be clarification today. So Paul spends time making sure that they understood the true gospel. It comes by grace, chapters 1 and 2. He will defend grace, the grace of Christ that you are turning away from. Chapters 3 and 4, the doctrine of grace. And then chapters 5 and 6, personal application of grace. That is, you walk in the Spirit. You don't walk in the flesh. It is by grace through faith alone that brings salvation. And any other message that says otherwise is what salvation is, faith and works. Listen, it's faith that works. Big difference. It is a living faith that is real. That is going to be evident in your life. And it doesn't mean we won't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't sin. But it means that we are moving forward and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Desiring to please him with our lives. We are saved by faith so that we can do good works. Because even as Revelation chapter 4 says, we are created for his good pleasures. And anyone who comes along and says you have to keep the Sabbath or you have to be confirmed or you have to be baptized, whatever it is, um, it's another gospel. They would come to Jesus and ask him, what must we do to do the works of God? And in John's gospel, Jesus would answer and say to them that this one thing you do, believe on him whom the Father has sent. You believe on me, you believe in me, you open up your heart to me. And in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So you see, Paul repeats himself. I want to make sure that you're clear on this. There's only one true gospel. That is the grace of Christ that I brought to you. The gospel of Christ cannot be changed. You cannot add to it. If you do, it's not true. And it's not good news. To try to add to our own righteousness to obtain salvation. And if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches any other gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. That word accursed literally means to be damned. That which God hates. I think that these verses that we just read, that every Mormon should read these verses. Because the Mormons believe that an angel came, the angel Moroni, That's what you see on their temples of Moroni blowing a trumpet who came to Joseph Smith to bring another gospel, the Book of Mormon. And Paul says if even an angel brings any other gospel than what we presented to you, let that angel be accursed. There's not another gospel. And of course, this is a study for another time is what they believe is Jesus is the created being, the Mormons, rather than the creator. They believe that it's salvation by works as well. You have to earn your way to the third heaven, all this that is false and not biblical. So Paul here using very sobering words. Matter of fact, when I taught on this last time Galatians, about probably eight, nine, ten years ago, there was um, somebody that was a Mormon sitting in the front row, and I said, every Mormon should read that verse, and he came up and he got saved. 
they turned to Christ. It was, it was wonderful. So if you are in the Mormon faith, you know, we love you enough to give you the truth. Come up and receive the real Jesus that's presented in the Bible, the creator of all, who loves you and died for you. And come to know him. And what my prayer is over the next several weeks that we get established in the gospel of Jesus Christ that would cause us to just have that peace and that joy. Some of you, you may be praying what David prayed, restoring to me the joy of my salvation and to stand on his word and to live in his love and to know that he did the work as he cried out from the cross it is finished. I did the work. I paid the price. And now we come to him as we just cry out to him. And Father, I thank you that we can do that. And I even pray this morning if there's anyone here that, that Lord, that they have never made a commitment to your son Jesus. The Bible does say repent, turn direction, turn to Jesus. And call out to him because we're all sinners. And that's why Jesus came, to die for our sins. And he did cry out, it is finished. We can't add to that. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has never come and called on the name of Jesus for salvation, that you would do that right now. Because we're going to come to the communion table. And the communion table is for the believers. Not if you just belong to our church. It's for the believer. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. This new covenant that we belong to. So you, if you're here, if it means anything to you, come to Christ. Call out on his name. Ask for forgiveness. Surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior, because he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. He is truly Lord. And you can do that right now, because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. And you did the work of redemption and justification on the cross and rising from the grave. It is finished. And I believe in that, and I come and and I come humbly ask that you be my Lord and Savior, confessing I'm a sinner, to live for you and to know you and to walk with you. I thank you that for this new beginning. And Lord, please help me to stay close to you and know you all the days of my life, to live for you in a way that is pleasing. And I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for me. And for all of us, as we will enter into a time of communion, just to continue to look to him and worship him and marvel at the incredible grace that's been bestowed upon us. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.